Uh, we're going to go ahead and look at our passage. It's John chapter 3, 22 through 30. John chapter 3, 22 through 30. Here it is. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. And people were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one that you testified about, the one who was with you across the Jordan, is baptizing, and everybody is going to him. And John responded, that's John the Baptist, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, just as Psalm 72 says, but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can gather together in your presence here this morning to worship you and to hear, Lord, all that it is that you have for us. Lord, and I pray that your word, as it goes out of my mouth here this morning, by the power of your spirit, would land home, Lord, and that it would convict our hearts by the power of your spirit, point us to our only hope in Christ, and make us more like him. His name we pray. Uh, amen. So if you are new with us this morning, we are currently um, uh, in a teaching series called The Good Life, where we are working our way through the uh, book of John. And one of the reasons that we uh, preach through books of the Bible, and that's not all we do, but that is the main diet here on Sunday morning is preaching through books of the Bible, is this is how the Bible comes to us. It comes to us as, as a book, uh, but a collection of books, more like a library, and we want to know what these books are about, not just pull stuff randomly uh, out of context, but understand um, these, uh, the Bible in its context. So uh, John was a, a follower of Jesus. He was, a, he was a disciple. And what we're really looking at here in John chapter 3 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So when Jesus uh, got out the gates with his ministry, got his ministry off the ground of teaching, preaching, there was there was another movement going on at the same time, and that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist came to prepare the way uh, for Jesus, and he's beginning to fade into the background because he was preparing everybody for Jesus, and now Jesus uh, was up and running. I, I want to look at this again. Let's look at this again in verse 22 through 26. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in Anon near Selim, because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized. And since John had not yet been thrown into prison, uh, then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about was with you, who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing. Look at this. Everyone is going to him. See that? So... All kinds of people were going and flocking to Jesus and following him and listening to him, and John was still baptizing. So we got two groups here. We got John and his, 
his followers, and we got Jesus and his followers. But we need to know there was also other people, other groups out there who uh, believed in baptism and ritual washings and things like that. That's why we had this, uh, this instance of, of a Jew coming to John's uh, disciples and asking them about uh, purification. So we got all these groups going on. So what happens when you get a bunch of humans together like that? And, and you get a, a bunch of groups going on, kind of doing uh, similar things, right? Well, you know what happens when you got more people, right? You got more problems, right? More people, more problems, right? So uh, John, uh, John the Baptist's disciples, they seem to be concerned that everyone is going and uh, following Jesus. That's what they say. They come to John and they say, everybody's going and following, uh, uh, following, the, following Jesus. So when you get various groups together, there's always a temptation to believe lies about one another, isn't there? When you get groups of people, you know, you start competing, you start believing things uh, about people, and, and here's the lie, right? The lie is there's not going to be enough for you. That's what I want to talk to you about here this morning. There's not going to be enough for you. And that's really the lie of envy. The lie of envy is there's not going to be uh, enough for you. What is envy, by the way? How would you answer that question? What is envy? Yeah, it's very similar to jealousy, but they are different. Um, Jonathan Edwards, he was a um, pastor in New England during the uh, First Great Awakening in the 1700s. This is how he defined it. Envy is a spirit of dissatisfaction or opposition to the prosperity or the happiness of other people. Dissatisfaction or opposition to the happiness of other people. All right, well, Jonathan Edwards was wicked smart, and we can boil him down uh, a little bit. Envy is simply wanting what someone else has. That's all envy is. Right? Jealousy is more a protection of what you got. Envy is, okay, they got it and I want it. So uh, the, thing that people, the things that people can be envious about can be something about other people. It can be something that they possess, something they own, or some status uh, that they've acquired in life. And you know what? The Bible has a ton to say about envy. It has a whole lot to say about it. Um, Jesus said that envy is the monster that dwells within our hearts. I'll show you. Uh, these are Jesus' own words. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 20 to 22. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. That is, what comes out of us in our lives uh, is what defiles us before God. From within, out of people's hearts, that is the true you deep down. When life squeezes on you, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Uh, the Bible talks about envy uh, being this destructive rot uh, in, in our souls, this rotting force. Uh, look at Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. Amen. That sounds great, doesn't it? But... Envy makes the bones rot. Uh, I've known several people uh, over the last uh, couple years that have, that have had infections in their bones. And let me tell you, uh, that, was, that was a difficult time in their lives, right? Uh, it was awful. I would venture to say that there is very few people that would say envy is a good thing. Like, they're, they're advocating, like, you want to know how to live the good life? Just be as envious as you possibly can uh, with other people. Right? Nobody says that. 
I found this study that was done in 2023 uh, about uh, envy and mental health. This is, what they, this is what they said. Individuals with high envy would be more likely to experience inferiority, feelings of ill will toward other people, thereby affecting their mental health. So as envy goes up in our lives, as we have that in our lives, so we have all these, uh, these mental uh, health problems, anxiety and depression and whatever else it might be. And uh, once you really sit down and think about it, envy is really everywhere. It is wafting and, and, and pervasive uh, throughout our, our society, our culture, our lives. Um, and there's really three particular areas where envy can be seen. The first is being liked. We can be envious of people liking other people more than us. Right? You, have, you, ever, you ever been envious uh, in your, your friendships and your close relationships? That never happens, does it? Um, uh, maybe you want to look like someone else. You know, you want uh, their hair, their face, their body. Maybe you want their, their guns or their muscles. You know, you want their tattoos or their height or, or whatever it, it, might, it might be. Uh, a lot of people shaking their heads. Uh, how about in the workplace when, when someone uh, gets the attaboy and you get overlooked? Right? I mean, if you really want to feel the rot of envy, just spend a couple hours on social media on your day off. Right? That'll be super refreshing uh, to your, your heart and your soul. So that's the first area. A second area is being loaded. I'm talking about uh, money, right? We want the money and the material things uh, that other uh, people have. Um, little confession. I, I follow this guy on uh, YouTube. He, uh, he does these hunting strategy videos. So I, I watch a lot of them during on hunting season. And man, he's got all the best gear. He's got best camo. He's got the best binoculars. Man, he's got all the gear. It's all brand new. And I'm thinking about the stuff I got. It's got holes in it. I'm cold out in the woods. And he's got the best four-wheelers and side-by-sides, you know. And he's got, he knows how to do it. He's got the best strategies and, and everything. He's got the best hunting properties. Therefore, he's always killing the monster bucks. And I'm not. And I think to myself, that must be nice. That must be nice when I'm being bad, Ricky. I don't, want, I don't want to spend all my time hunting. But um, envy is the case of the must-be-nices. That's what envy says that in your heart. Must be nice for that other person to have all that stuff. I was talking with someone, uh, you know, I don't know if they're a Christian or not, but uh, about what I was going to talk about this morning, and they said to me, uh, doesn't the Bible say you, like, shouldn't want your neighbor's stuff? And I was like, pretty sure it does. Pretty sure that's on the top 10 things that we're not supposed to be doing with our lives. But uh, Exodus 20, verse 17 is, is uh, the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet or want your neighbor's house. Shall not covet your neighbor's side-by-side, uh, your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey. In this case, y'all don't get it. Or anything that is your neighbor's. Third area is being loved, right? We want the love that other people have. You know, we want to be loved like that, however they're, uh, however they're being loved. We want their girl, their guy, whatever uh, it might be, you know? And, and maybe you, you, you thought as a Christian, you know, it must be nice to do and live however you want and be able to get away with it. I just do all that stuff the Bible says we're not supposed to do, to live a life of sin, and, you know, people get away with it. They look happy. 
It looked like uh, everything's going just fine for them. Uh, listen to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. All right, here's what makes envy really tricky. No one ever sees it in themselves. All right, uh, envy, is, envy is everywhere. It's pervasive right, in, our, in our lives, but no one ever thinks it's them. You know, I mean, how many people do you know throughout your life that, that have come to you and said, you know what, I am super proud of being an envious person? You know, they, they've probably come to you and, and talked to you about being proud of all kinds of things the Bible says we probably shouldn't be doing, though. Proud of how much beer and booze we can drink. Proud of the women that we've slept with. Proud of uh, how angry we've gotten or how much stuff we got or how we waste our time, waste our, our money or trivial things that we're, we're focused on, how we break the law or the drugs that we do. But not too many people are proud of being inferior to other people. Because admitting to envy is admitting that you think that someone is actually better than you. They got more than you. All right, uh, the fact that envy is so hard to see in ourselves is why uh, there's a guy named, uh, he's an author, uh, Jerry Bridges, wrote a book a while back called Respectable Sins. Envy is a sin that is respectable because no one suspects it in themselves. This is why envy is so evil Right? And so uh, blinding, as a matter of fact, it's way worse than you could ever imagine. Envy is so wicked right, that the most heinous crime that has ever been committed in the history of the world happened because of envy. Let's think about that. The most horrible thing that ever happened throughout the history of the world happened because of envy. When Jesus was handed over by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, this is what Matthew chapter 6 27 verse 18 says about that. For he knew it was because of envy that they handed him over. Jesus Christ was murdered because of envy. They wanted what he had. Well, I don't know. What was it? They wanted his popularity and his fame, the, the uh, following that he had. But here's the good news. Here's the good news of the Scriptures. The death of the Son of God on the cross because of envy was the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. It was the purpose of God the Father through the Son, the Lord Jesus, to nail envy to the cross and to put it to death. It's like a trick play in uh, sports. All right? uh, I looked up trick plays uh, this week, and uh, there was like a top ten. And uh, one of them was a um, field goal. And the, uh, the placeholder received the snap. All right? He grabbed it. I'm not going to get as low as he is. I don't know if I can get back up. But... Uh, but he went like this over his head, and uh, like he was going to pitch it backwards, and then someone slipped right in front of him and just tossed it like that and totally uh, fooled the other team. And they went in and scored a touchdown made them look like a bunch of idiots, right? It made them look ridiculous. And that's what a, a trick play, um, it's like a punch to the gut, right? It, 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 a trick play makes the other team uh, look ridiculous, and that's what God did uh, with envy at the cross. When Christ came back, from the grave, envy is ultimately defeated. You know, and, and hearing the good news of the gospel, hearing about the cross, hearing about the death and resurrection of Jesus is like a punch to the gut because it's saying that we're all envious. Right? This is what Jesus said. This is what comes uh, uh, out of our heart. But at the cross, our envy was nailed to it so that we could be forgiven right, and set free. 
from it. Uh, another way to think about it is, you know, Proverbs chapter 14 says envy is like a rot, an infection uh, in the bones. So the cross of Jesus and his victorious uh, resurrection is like the antibiotics that brings healing to our souls, that, that, that makes us well uh, so that um, we can overcome uh, envy uh, in our lives. So what should we do? That's the question. What, what should we do if, if envy is what hung Jesus on the cross? That's why he died, so that we could be forgiven. Have a new life, a good life, a life where we are gaining ground uh, over envy. So what should we do? Well, the Bible says our response is always this, two things. Repent. That is, stop it. That is to turn away from envy, to live a new life where we're looking to Jesus, we're believing in him, we believe in everything that we need in life is found in Christ, and uh, we are going to follow him now. Uh, this is how uh, Peter puts it in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Because of Jesus, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, doing wrong to people, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. So Peter says, because we're Christians, this ought to be what our life is, looks like. We get rid of all the envy. We, we rid ourselves of it. So to do that, I got four truths from our passage to help us out. Okay? How's that sound to you guys? All right, quick. Four truths from our passage uh, in the book of John to help us. So number one, number one is everything that you have is a gift. Look at verse um, 27. Chapter 3, verse 27. John the Baptist responded, No one can receive anything unless it is given to him from heaven. And what is he talking about here? He's talking about Jesus' ministry. He's talking about all these people flocking to uh, Jesus, going after him and believing in him and, and following him. And he's talking about how his ministry is done. Just think about that. Right? He, he, he did his job and to prepare the way for Jesus. Right? And now Jesus is here. The Messiah has come. Uh, the promised one has come. And Jesus is doing his thing. And it's time for John uh, to take a back seat. But he says that Jesus had the success that he had because it had been given to him um, from heaven. In other words, Jesus' ministry was a gift of God. It was something that God did in his life and that, that, uh, that God uh, worked in it and through his life by the power of the Spirit. And... Uh, uh, so me and uh, my, my wife, Audrey, just celebrated uh, 15 years uh, of marriage. Thank God that's uh, a wonderful gift uh, to us in our lives, our, our marriage. Uh, but someone gave us uh, a kind um, gift for our uh, anniversary. And, um, you know, before they gave it to us, we didn't have it, right? But, they, but when they gave it to us, we had it, right? And that's a gift. That's what, uh, that's what John is saying here. So... If what Jesus had had was based on what had, he had been given, how much more everything that we have, right? How much more everything? John responded, no one can receive anything. You can't receive anything unless it's been given to you uh, from uh, heaven. This verse says that everything that we have received in this life is a gift. Just think about that. So we live in the world that has been given to us by God. Look at, listen, look at the Apostle Paul said when he was in, uh, he was in Athens. He was uh, planting churches and preaching the gospel. And he was with all these uh, people that had never heard about Jesus. And this is what he says to them. The God who made the world and everything in it, 
He is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. So God doesn't need anything from us. Look what he says. Since he himself gives. The creator God gives everyone life and breath and some things. All things. As everything in our life. From one man, God has made every nationality live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries where they lived. So, it is a gift to know the Creator God and His Son, Jesus Christ. It is a gift to be able to serve Him. It is a gift to be alive. It is a gift to breathe, this passage says. This has been given to us. Every breath that we take has been given to us by God. And everything that you have has been given to you by God. Maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, but I worked really hard for it. And I'm sure you did. But you worked with the breath and the life and everything that God has given you. You worked with all of his materials to do your job and the strength that he supplied to you. And here's what envy is. Envy is the lie that God's world is one of scarcity. That's what envy is. Envy says there's not going to be enough out there for you. There's too many people, right? There's not going to be enough, right? God's world is one of scarcity because an envious heart is too little. There's not enough room in an envious heart to, to understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He can't understand the God who out of his limitless depths and goodness and infinity gave us his only son. Pretty sure he can take care of us. Pretty sure there's not going to be uh, there'll be enough for us. So everything that you have is a gift. Everything you have has been given to you. So you know what that means? That means everyone in this room and everyone in the entire world, everything that they have has been given to them by God. Let's think about that. So if everything I have is gift, God graciously gave it to me, well, why would I want what other people have? And if what they have, God wanted them to have it, why would I want to take it from them? want it from them. Therefore, we should rid ourselves of all envy. Number two, we got to go back to the fundamentals. Go back to the fundamentals. Uh, look at verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm the one, that, but I, I have been sent ahead of him. So John here is saying, listen, he's just going back to what his ministry was all about in the first place. So he's saying, listen, I done told y'all I have already told y'all, and now I'm going to tell you again, right, what I'm all about. I am not the Messiah. I am all about the Messiah. I'm all about, all right, folks, we all need to shift, and, and you need to go and uh, follow him. So now, Jesus is in the game. John's got to check out of the game because Jesus has checked in. He has served his purpose, right? Isn't it interesting that John the Apostle, the, the writer of our book, keeps bringing up John the Baptist all throughout this. Why is that? Why does he bring John, up John the Baptist uh, right here uh, in this moment after he just got done talking about how God loved the world and why Christ uh, came into the world? Right? Well, it is John the Apostle's way of telling us to stay in our lane. Right? Stay in our lane. So John the Baptist is saying, okay, Jesus is the Messiah. That is his lane, and I got a whole other lane over here, and it's just to love and serve him and to direct everyone 
to Jesus, right? He's saying, listen, life is all about Jesus. I am okay with everyone going and following Jesus because he is the point of life. Isn't that what John the Apostle, what has he told us about Jesus so far? In chapters 1 through 3, he's told us that when there was nothing, Jesus was there. And he's always been there. He was in the beginning. And he has always been there with God the Father. That he's eternally existed with his Father. And that he is God. And that this God, this Word of God, Jesus, came into the flesh and came into uh, this world, and Jesus is the heavenly hotspot where we can connect to God. All right? Jesus is the place that we can connect to God and know God. That he is a, he, Jesus is where heaven is coming down to earth and making it new again, and that Jesus came into the world to give us the good life. That is, the life that God created us to have, but that we can't have because of sin. True happiness through a personal knowledge of the one true and living God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and knowing Him. And Jesus demands a radical spiritual rebirth. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He says you must be born again. And that can only happen through the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, convicting them, pointing them to Jesus, um, convincing them that He is who He said He is. Jesus said that He had to die for people's salvation. And that those who believe in him already have eternal life now, the moment they start believing. And that those who do not are condemned already where they stand. And that's what life is all about. That's the good life. It's knowing this Jesus. And John the Baptist is saying, that man, Jesus, he has my unwavering support. That's what he's saying. What? Everybody's going to Jesus? Man, I hope the whole world goes and follows Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away uh, the sin of the world. So uh, going back to Jesus, going back to the fundamentals, it's like, you know, your binoculars, you got the little knob there, little knob thing. I'm sure that, that guy who's got all the nice gear, he probably don't have a knob. He's probably got something even better. But, you know, you got your little knob there, and uh, it helps you focus, right? It helps you focus on what you're trying uh, to look at. Right? When we are tempted to envy, what we do is we zoom in to where the world is just about us. And it's about what I want from someone else. Or what I wish I really had that someone else has. But when we look to Jesus, we zoom out and we see, okay, this is what life is really all about. Life is really all about this person, Jesus. Knowing Him and living for Him. So, we go back, we see that life is all about Jesus and loving people as Jesus loved them and not wanting what is theirs. Number three is fill up on joy. Fill up on joy. Look at verse 29. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine uh, is complete. So John the Baptist uh, uses a wedding uh, metaphor here. And it's very appropriate, right? Uh, because relationships are one of the biggest temptations for envy. We already talked about that, right? We, we want to be loved. Um, John is saying Jesus is the groom, and all the people that are going to Jesus, they are the bride. And I'm just the best man. I'm just the best man. Hey, listen, all these people going to Jesus is because it's his day. 
It's his day. It's his wedding day. It's not mine. I'm not here to steal the bride. Right? I'm just here to rejoice in this glorious uh, occasion. Right? Another reason a wedding metaphor is, is a good one is this is the way that God says that he relates to his people. Uh, look at it in uh, Isaiah uh, 54, uh, verse 5. Indeed, your husband is your maker. I don't know how it could be any more clear. His name is the Lord of armies. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the whole earth. So in the Scriptures, the Bible says that God created marriage. God gave us, as humanity, marriage as a gift for a lot of different reasons. But one, one of the main ones is that it is a picture of God's relationship with His people. A covenant. Right? That, that John the Baptist is saying that Jesus is the groom, His followers are the bride, and that, that God is in Christ making a new covenant with His people. That God is pledging Himself till death do us part in love uh, through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had the privilege of, of going to a lot of weddings, especially as a pastor, being a part of a church. And, and uh, I can tell you there hasn't been one wedding that I've ever been to that was not a joyous occasion. Thank God. Right? Because joy is the appropriate response, the appropriate emotion for a wedding. And John the Baptist is saying, listen, nothing gives me, uh, nothing makes me happier. Nothing gives me more joy than to see all of these people going to follow Jesus. Right? And being a part of the bride of Christ, uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John says, listen, uh, so the, he says, so this joy of mine is complete. And the word there, uh, complete, is the word to fill up. Right? So that's why I said we need to fill up on joy. Right? To fill up on joy is to rejoice in the groom, Jesus. Right? Life is all about him. I'm excited about Jesus. and I'm, I'm rejoicing in him and his bride, the church, as more and more people are coming into it. How can you be envious if that's your mentality? If you love Jesus and you're excited about Him and you want to see more and more people come into His church and come to know Him, then why would I be envious about them? These people that Jesus loves and He's bringing in, uh, why would I be envious of His bride? Number four, you must decrease. You must decrease. John chapter 3, verse 30. Let's look at this. John chapter 3, verse 30. He, that is Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. These are the last recorded words of John the Baptist uh, in the book of John. Let's think about that. Man, what a way to go out. All right, those are some last words right there. He's got to increase, but I got I to decrease. Um, this past week, uh, someone showed me a video of them shooting a 50 caliber sniper rifle. And it was, it was serious business. It was, it, was, it was very impressive. These words right here are the 50 cal for envy. Right? They, they will help you hit the target. Jesus has got to increase, but I must decrease. And notice the word must. You see that? Jesus must increase. Let's think about it. Let's look at those words for a second. He's got to increase. In other words, he is going to. He will increase. No one, no how, can stop that from happening. It is happening. Jesus must increase. How does that happen, though? 
How does God in the flesh who is infinite increase? That's a conundrum right there. Well, he does so through multiplication. That's how Jesus increases, through multiplication. Isn't that what's happening in our story? As more and more people are coming to be his followers, his glory and his fame are increasing throughout uh, the world. Um, you guys remember the uh, total eclipse of 2017? You guys remember that? Everybody's staring up at the sun, stuff like that. Yeah, that, I, would, I think the last time that happened was 1918, where it could be seen all the way across uh, the uh, United States. But here's my point. We ought to be willing to be eclipsed by Jesus in the church. That ought to be our prayer. Jesus, eclipse me. We ought, we ought, to, we ought to want Jesus to just come on over and just cover us up and for everyone to see Jesus and to not see anything whatsoever uh, about us. We ought to be willing to make things not about ourselves and not about wanting what other people have, especially in the church. All right, one, one of the ways uh, that this happens uh, for Christians is we say things like, well, I don't feel loved in the church. I don't feel loved. No one's, no one's really loving me. Well, here's my question. Whoever said that ought to be your mentality? Whoever said that ought to be the way that you think about uh, the Christian life, right? Because the Bible says that the cross and the resurrection are like an anvil or a forge that, that mold us and, and beat on us and shape us and make us look more like Christ. And what did Christ do? Christ didn't come into the world and say, well, I don't really feel love as, the, as, as these envious people murdered him. He wasn't up there saying, well, I don't really feel loved in this moment right now. No, he gave himself for his enemies at the cross for those who were envious, right? And you, when you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, it's not, it's not because you love God first and then uh, he loves you back. No, he loves you while you're lost and you're blind and you're dead. And you're, he comes after you, right? So the, so the, so the cross-shaped life, when, when, when you are beat on the anvil of the cross, is I'm not waiting around for people to love me, okay? I'm going to go after them and love them. Right? I, I'm, not, I'm not sitting around praying, God, would someone please love me? No, God, give, put someone in my path that I can love like Christ has, has loved me. That ought to be our uh, mentality. So one of the ways that we can decrease and Jesus can increase is wanting Jesus' church to multiply and grow. And here's how we do that. We do that by continually welcoming more and more people into the church. You hear what this means? It means we can't have the holy huddle. You guys heard that before? We all get huddled up like in a football team, and all these people, more and more people are coming in, and we say, hey, glad you're here. Makes them feel real loved and real, uh, real uh, welcomed when, you, when we do things. I like that. No, it means you got to break the huddle up, right? And there's got to be an opening in the circle and say, come on up in here, right? I need a whole lot more friends in my life is what I'm saying. Right? you got to open your life up and make room for, for more friends. That's why... When you get up in the church, you ought to always be ready for your friendships to be meddled with and not be envious when your friends start making more friends. It's a temptation. Uh, what happens when the humans uh, multiply? You get more and more humans. More people, more problems. Right? And that's why we need not only multiplication, but we need maturity. Jesus increases through multiplication, but he also does 
through maturity in His people. That is, He is glorified, honored, praised as we all find everything that we need in Christ and not in what someone else has. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he was a Baptist pastor in London in uh, the 1800s. And uh, he, he wrote a little devotional book called Morning and Evening. So it's got little readings for you uh, in the morning uh, and then also in the, in the evening. Here's what he said in one of them. Where converts are multiplied, see that? Multiplication. And God was glorified. Jealousy and envy do the devil's work most effectually. You see that? When the church grows and you got more people, the devil has more opportunity to work through envy very effectively. That's why we got to be on guard against that. As a church, as we multiply and grow, that we don't envy one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, our prayer ought to always be, Lord, please decrease me. Please decrease me. And Lord, go ahead and increase yourself. Lord, increase yourself, increase your, increase your fame, increase your glory. Lord, Lord, if, there, if this is not a total eclipse here in my life, would you please make it a total eclipse? And don't let enemy, any of me shine through. Let all of you be seen uh, in my life. Let me end on with this encouragement. God is faithful, and this ain't all up to us. He is faithful, and he will mature his people to the very end in envy never have the last word because it's already been nailed to the cross. It's already been buried in the grave. And Jesus will continually increase because he must increase. So we got to decrease. Jesus is going to increase so much that one day his fame and his glory will fill the entire world. And that is our hope as believers, that when he, when he returns, right, his glory and his fame is going to uh, cover this world. And that's what we want to respond to.